Over the next few months, Dunsmuir fell into a comfortable routine. He'd rise for morning prayers in the sanctuary. Days were spent conducting spiritual instruction, teaching hand-to-hand combat, and metalworking. He was enjoying a rare sunny day, chasing Kirken and some of the other druid children around the temple in a game of tag when Tapper flagged him down. The caravaner was covered in muck and mud. That wasn't uncommon now that the rainy season arrived. The cold reach of winter was telegraphing its arrival with sporadic bursts of freezing wind. The ground throughout Tuck's Edge was a jagged mud landscape populated by rain-filled divots like thousands of lakes. Tapper, Dunsmere said, his breathing heavy. Sorry, these kids are wearing me out. How's the road? Getting better at all? That's what I'm here about. The Red Hand are making their way here. They've all but dominated Ephawir, and, and they're making their way north. Dunsmere's chest tightened at the mention of the cult, the Red Hand. They claimed Theos as their god, but rejected Theos' church, and claimed that the church was heretical. It was nonsensical, the ravings of insane people. An evil possessed these poor people, Dunsmere thought. Maybe the demons had something to do with that evil. Whatever its source, the evil corrupted so many good, Theos-loving people. Once they proclaimed the Natalian creed with pride. Now, they proclaimed that the church's existence was blasphemy. They claimed that any follower of Theos could preach in his name. They also claimed that any follower who was guided by Theos could ferret out sorcerers and witches among the populace and execute them. Thaomer was turning red with the blood of so many people accused of these occult activities. So far, they've been peaceful, Tapper said. The goblin packed his pipe with the leaves most likely purchased from Annabella. But I've heard this group's prophet. Tapper blew thick smoke out in a heavy white cone. That's what they call the leaders of their murder squads. Usually someone who calls themselves sister this or brother that. Sometimes just prophet. Always they come with a large group. Usually some to sing hymns and other songs about Theos and, and this person, Elal. Are you, are, are you familiar with that name? Dunsmere shook his head. No, I haven't heard it before. Apparently he was a paladin who was killed by some demon who was working with the priest of St. Allegis. So this Elal person died in battle, was buried, mind you, and then rose from the dead a week later. They're, they're calling it a miracle. How was that a miracle? All archbishops and most bishops are able to raise the dead. And that's the thing. They say no priest raised him. Apparently Theos himself did it. They're saying it's evidence. This is this is what they're saying, mind you, that they are righteous in their goal to destroy the heretical church. It made Dunsmere's blood boil to hear that this group was out there spreading blasphemies and lies. It was an affront not only to the church, but to the saints and to Theos. He could feel some rage building in his belly. He quelled it. Archbishop Joyce instructed all of their order to not attack the Red Hand. Dunsmere had faith in the church's decision in this matter. Dunsmere did not like it, though. If he and three or four of his paladin brethren were turned loose, they could end this cult in a few days. Theos gave no quarter to heretics or blasphemers. There's no way Tuck's Edge will allow them in, 
Dunsmere said. With everything else that's happening, it would be insane for them to let these madmen in. Tapper shook his head. You're thinking like a mountain boy. Out here, most people aren't a fan of the church. It's too closely tied to the Crucian Empire. This is their thought, mind you. Hell, most of us don't like the authority of the Queen and Thalemer, if I'm honest with you, and I hope I can be, let alone a, a church based in a city across a mountain range. Dunsmere knew that what Tapper was saying was correct, but it was still almost incomprehensible to him. The church had to be close to the Emperor, or the Emperor would try and overtake the church. Emperor Simon had already seized control of the Order of St. Crowley. The church and the Crucian Empire hated each other, but they needed each other. Even more importantly, Tapper continued, they come in large groups with a lot of coin. Makes it hard for people to say, no, don't come in here. I'll talk with Baldo. See if there's anything we can do. Tapper snorted clouds of smoke through his nostrils. Don't waste your time. You just protect those children. You forgot to chase us, Alice said from behind Dunsmere. He turned around to see five smiling faces. He didn't notice that all of them had their hands behind their backs. I'm sorry, children. Dunsmere was pelted in the face and chest with mud clumps. The children laughed with high-pitched glee. They would have raised his spirits under normal circumstances. He forced a laugh, hoping it would disguise his fear and rage. After he and the children said their afternoon prayers, he would speak to Baldo and Annabella. She was a merchant, so was on the town council. And with Baldo as captain of the guard, Dunsmere was sure that together they would have some sway in the town. The redhead are nothing to worry about, Mayor Justin Fellows proclaimed. His voice was loud and carried an air of authority, which was in direct contrast to his appearance. He was a fat man, whose chins hung so low they obscured his neck. The candlelight gleamed off the sweat coating his face. His appearance reminded Dunsmere of wet ham. And this missionary, as he calls himself, Tobias, has quite a following. Winter is coming and the caravans are less frequent. Their rhetoric may be harsh, but that is all it is. Rhetoric. They're worshippers of Thales, but also take pride in being from Thaomer. Thaomer was built on religious tolerance. We have nothing to fear. With all due respect, Mayor, Dunsmere said, I have traveled across the land. I have seen what the Red Hand do and rhetoric is how they start. They have no problem carrying through on what they preach. Where they go, there is nothing but death and destruction. The town council was clearly not listening to him. Even looking at Annabella's face, it was clear to Dunsmere that she wasn't fully convinced. He reminded himself that the council members were simply merchants. They were not caravanners like Tapper. They were not farmers. They did not actually labor or toil. They were middlemen who had the coin to pay the fees to the town and queen to sell products every day, but one in a week. In his experience, those whose main contribution to society was as a middleman knew the least, yet spoke as though they should be offered the most authority. Theos was the true authority Dunsmere knew. Though in these dark times, many treated coin as if it were divine, and those who possessed it holy avatars. He thought that maybe Annabella would be different, but apparently a merchant was a merchant. Maybe the weight of coin in their purse pulled parts of their brains out of their ears. Baldo told Dunsmere that it wouldn't go well for him. 
Mother Charlure told him it would be worth making the statement if nothing else. The Druids should know that the Order of St. Allegis will be their allies when the Redhead called them witches and sorcerers, she said as they drank wine the night before. With a snort, Mayor Fellows continued. And with all due respect, Brother Dunsmere, you are a member of the Church. It is well known that your priests and paladins spread false news when it comes to the Red Hand. And we all know that the Red Hand travel in bands. That influx of business will be excellent for our community. A murmur of agreement came from the Council. They are butchers. This community has enough issues with the Druids and the Demons. Do we really need to add this violent element into our society? Blood rushed to Dunsmere's face as he spoke. He could feel the heat rising in his cheeks. Mayor Fellows jammed a wooden toothpick in between his teeth and then removed it to see what shreds of food were clinging to the wood. There was a small clump of meat pasted to the stick by his saliva. The man licked it off with a delicate flick of his tongue. We will not sacrifice this opportunity to enrich the town because you and the church are bigoted toward different ideas, Mayor Fellows said. Then to the council, all in favor of welcoming the Red Hand into Toxedge. In this, Annabella kept her hand down, signaling her disapproval. She and the elven baker, Thomasina, were the only two objecting. Thomasina was a devout follower of St. Allegius. She would attend service every sixth day and was generous with her donations. Dunsmere said a silent prayer of thanks to Theos for two such strong women. Then the rage began to burn in his belly. Dunsmere was out in the western wildlands once again. If rage weren't burning through every fiber of his existence, he may have enjoyed this ride. Mother Charlure told him not to go, but the holy rage of St. Allegius fueled him. It guided him. And after the meeting with the council, Dunsmere stormed back to his cell and grabbed his armor and his sword. Kirkin was all too excited to help him put on the plate mail. Where's your grove? I can show you, Kirkin said. We can go together, like an adventure. Sorry, son, but this would be too dangerous. One day when you're older, I'll be happy to call you Brother Paladin. We can go on an adventure together at that time. Are you going to kill some demons? Carling asked. Yes. Promise me you'll tell me about it when you get back, Kirkin said. The halfling boy handed Dunsmere his warhammer. Charlure told him he was being emotional that he was acting irrationally and needed to sleep on it. He was a holy knight of Theos. He was the arm with which Theos reforged those who chose to bend and broke those who defied him. Maybe not orthodox, but Dunsmere knew it to be the truth. These demons were doing just that. He needed to see them, to look into their eyes as life left them. For Theos' glory and St. Elijah's exaltation, once again, he walked away from Mother Charlure without responding. Dunsmere relayed the location of the Golden Moss Grove to Valiant. His holy mount signified his understanding with a snort and charged through Tuck's Edge. The divine rage Dunsmere felt was also pulsating through Valiant. Their two souls were almost as one. Thank you for guiding me, Dunsmere thought to Valiant. Valiant's response was an emotion of warmth and love that rushed over Dunsmere. They were in sync. There were clear signs of the demon's tracks. They were moving in a regimented group, which was not what Dunsmere expected. 
Though he never came face to face with a demon before, the church's teachings on demons stated them to be creatures of chaos and not regimented at all. Maybe these aren't demons, he thought. Maybe they're just another army, long forgotten from the other side of the western wildlands. Good, he said aloud to Valiant. People are easier to kill. The horse whinnied, laughing with his master. They rode hard for the next hour until they came across the first body. The corpse was burned and bloated. Scavengers cleaned the soft bits, leaving only bone. From the size, it was either a small child or a halfling. Maybe both. Maybe a relative of Kirkin's, but Dunsmuir didn't want to think about that. The boy, Carleen Bear, and Alice had become favorites of Dunsmuir's over the past two months. Thinking that this might have been someone Kirkin loved created a sympathy that doused some of Dunsmuir's heavenly rage. Valiant stamped at something sticking out of the dead halfling's bag. Dunsmuir pulled out a small book, a journal possibly. The cover appeared to be tightly woven vines. The pages were leaves. All were alive. Foreign letters appeared as he read. It took Dunsmuir moments before he realized they were formed by small, dark bugs. This had to be important. Theos used Valiant to show him the way. Dunsmuir put the journal in the bag. He made his way past a number of bodies. Some burnt, others beyond bloating, now shriveled to macabre husks. With each passing body, Theos fueled Dunsmuir with divine hatred. Hatred for the demons, hatred for the red hand. Hatred for the council for valuing coin over life. Hatred for his feelings of possession over Charlure. And hatred for this entire cruel world. Theos was the light piercing the veil of this dark and demonic earth. And Dunsmere was his instrument. Dunsmere and Valiant raced past the bodies, no longer taking notice. The spirit of Theos was upon them both. Dunsmere drew his hammer with his right hand and a sword with his left. Deep, guttural, angry voices chanted. Their voices intensified the holy fire of rage, consuming Dunsmere in full. The path opened up into a large circle of grass with a shimmering lake at its center. A blue heart to the green body of the Druid Sanctuary. The tents which once served as home for the Druids were scattered and destroyed. There were large ditches of fires on the outside of the great circle. They were fueled by the remains of the bodies. Three men stood near a large table next to the lake. There was a black stain across the table. No, not black. The deep red of blood dried by the sun. The humans were also not human, Dunsmere realized. They had the frame of a human, but they stood seven feet tall, if not taller. Their skin was a deep red and eyes an even deeper black. These were the demons. Break before Saint Elegius. One grabbed his spear and launched it towards Dunsmere. A cry burst from Valiant as the spearhead sliced the top of his haunch. A line of blood marked the weapon's trajectory. The other two demons were charging the paladin and horse, blades drawn. Dunsmere brought down his hammer with a cry of, Theos! The demon contorted like a cat, and his strike went wide. Torquing his body, a scream erupted from the depths of his soul. Dunsmere slammed his sword into the face of the feline-esque demon. Surprise barely registered on the demon's face before the sword caved in his cheekbone. Dunsmere delighted as the blood spattered his own face. 
The sound of the demon's fluid colliding with his helmet was like a warm spring rain tapping on the roof of the orphanage. Such a comforting delight. Then he was on the ground, a rope around his neck, choking him, dragging him. Another demon held him in a man-catcher. He lunged toward the lake, dragging Dunsmere. Valiant was locked in a bloody melee with the other demon. No help there. Dunsmere tried hacking the pole of the man-catcher. No leverage. It was almost as if Saint Eligius himself spoke in Dunsmere's ear. Remember my words. Speak with my voice, and those who are our enemies will obey. Dunsmere dropped his weapons and ripped off his gauntlets. He had to be able to speak to use the voice of Saint Eligius, and the man-catcher was strangling him. He slammed his feet into the ground, propelling himself back toward the demon, pushing the man-catcher into its belly. The man-catcher's rope slackened as the demon cried in surprise. Dunsmere could speak, and with the voice of Saint Eligius cried, Halt! The demon continued walking into the lake. The blessed saint abandoned him. Then the creature froze, compelled by divine power. He charged to his weapons. The demon could overcome the holy energy at any moment. Valiant screamed as he was struck by the demon's blade. Dunsmere forgot about the demon with the man-catcher. He grabbed his weapons. The bond between a paladin and their mount was beyond comprehension to most. Valiant was not just his mount, not just sent to him by Theos, but was created with a piece of Dunsmere. A mount was as close to a paladin as a child to their mother. Dunsmere threw his entire body into the demon, driving it into the ground. His legs straddled the demon's torso. The creature's body felt no different than a normal humanoid. With divine glee, Dunsmere brought down his hammer. Again and again and again he drove the hammer into the ever-splitting face, then skull, then pulpy mess of the demon's head. He heard himself laugh, his face wet with blood, his body throbbing with bruises, and his soul pulsing with the ecstatic joy of holy combat pivoted to face his next victim. A boot greeted his face. Dunsmere's mouth flooded with a copper-tasting flow of blood as his nose cracked and flattened against his face. Breathing was difficult. As he landed on his back, Dunsmere feared he may drown in his own blood or suffocate. Valiant bit the ear off the demon, giving Dunsmere the moment he needed to call on Saint Eligius to heal himself. Like a warm bath, the healing flow of St. Eligius cracked his nose back to the correct place on his face. He could feel the bruises lower and stop their throbbing. Dunsmere was energized and delighted in his rage. How great was his god to give him the ability to continue this battle. The other demon swung its sword at Valiant with one hand. With his other hand, he held the bleeding hole that was once his ear. Valiant drew the demon off balance with a feint. The two of them, together, in the heat of battle, Paladin and Mount, side by side. It was what St. Eligius empowered him to do. The months of watching children and being Mother Charlure's sometimes lover were fulfilling. But that wasn't what Theos created Dunsmere to do. Some were called to the pulpit. Others to teach. Death and blood were his calling. The cracking of the demon's sword arm reverberated through Dunsmere's hammer. The demon turned its black eyes to him, a cry of pain on its lips. Dunsmere intended to drive his sword point into the demon's open mouth, but the creature moved. The point pierced the creature's nose, cracking as Dunsmere compensated for the new resistance with the push from his back foot. The resistance broke, and the blade escaped the back of the demon's skull with a wet pop. 
Dunsmuir drove the demon into the ground and collapsed on its lifeless body. Dunsmuir stood. He held both weapons in the air and screamed the name of his god, the name of his patron saint. He just screamed. How delightful it was to be doused in the blood of one's enemies. How holy. Valiant leaned his head against Dunsmuir. The warhorse's closeness would always calm Dunsmuir down and bring him back to himself. Valiant was made from the part of Dunsmuir which held the most crucial areas of his personhood. His compassion. His moral compass. They stood there for a long time. Face to face. Both bloody and breathing heavily. Finally, Dunsmuir said, Lead us home, old friend. They made their way through the grove, surrounded by the broken tents, the bodies of the demons, and the flames eating the bodies of the druids. Now, mostly charcoal. Exhaustion resided where the holy rage lived only moments before. A warm bath would be good. He knew he would be berated by Mother Charlewer first. Maybe have to do some penance, both as a paladin and as a person. It had all been worth it. Dunsmere knew he had not accomplished much other than giving himself the outlet he needed to be himself. He needed the blood, but also the compassion, or he was nothing. Reforge those you can, and break those who refuse, he said to himself. How was that not orthodox? There would be nights he would lay awake wondering whether or not he could have reforged those demons instead of breaking them. But that was for a different night, a different time. Now he was reveling in the joy of breaking. As they rode, he relived every blow, every splitting of the skin. Whether it was the exhaustion or the fact he was lost in thought, Dunsmere did not see the winged creature above him. He did not hear the rider on the back of the creature chant an incantation as it held a staff pointed at the paladin and mount. Lightning burst from the staff of the rider and hit with such ferocity that it knocked both Dunsmere and Valiant to the ground. The winged creature flew down toward them. From his back, Dunsmere could see what looked like a large winged lizard with two muscular legs. Where he expected to see a lizard-like tail was that of a scorpion. Only the tail was the size of a small horse, and its stinger was pointed right at him. Dunsmere rolled off Valiant, who screamed as the stinger pierced his neck. Valiant vanished, going back to the warm embrace of Theos. Dunsmere would be able to call Valiant back to him with intense prayer and a ritual cleansing. However, without Valiant, he was not a complete person. A large cold hole replaced his heart, and he felt as though he would cry and vomit at the same time. Dunsmere called on the holy rage, but it wouldn't come. The pain from the rider's lightning was excruciating. For the first time since he left the meeting with the town council, he found himself regretting his choices. Dunsmere pushed himself off the ground. His muscles twitched with exhaustion. Child of dirt, the rider said, its eyes with the deep black of a night sky. Though terrifying, there was almost a beauty to them. Dot, Oman, the All Father comes. Dot, 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 Oman comes. Dunsmere gripped his hammer tightly. Theos is God, Saint Allegis his servant, and I am their minister. 
The rider laughed, his robes flowing in the wind from the wyvern's wings as they hovered in front of the paladin. The laugh was condescending. Dunsmuir expected nothing more, but laughter was deep and high at the same time, as though a woman were laughing in harmony. Where the feminine voice came from, Dunsmuir didn't know, but it didn't seem to come from the rider. You children of dirt and your infant god. The rider shook his bald head. Unlike the demons, this rider's skin was not just red, but it held a gray tint. The texture was like that of dried leather, old, but not to the point of cracking. You and your god have stolen the land from the true goddess of this world. Anat, Onar, you have stolen it and imprisoned her for too long. Now Tatomoan is coming to free her. He is coming to restore order to this world. Join us. You are built of this dirt, of this world. You can become a true man, a man of strength, a man of this world, a man of the goddess and the Allfather. Dunsmere was hardly listening. Deus, please give me strength, he prayed silently. Make my aim true. With that, the paladin launched his warhammer, the symbol of a saint, at the rider. It whistled as it flew through the air. The rider's eyes grew wide with surprise. Instinct forced the rider to raise his hand to protect his face. Dunsmere smiled. This worked out better than he hoped. As if guided by St. Eligius himself, the hammer smashed into the staff. There was a crack as the staff shattered as though made of glass. Magical energy exploded out like the multi-legged calamari of the Black Sea. The wyvern screamed a primal cry of pain. The rider's scream was drowned out by that of the wyvern. Dunsmere could see his face, though. The magical electricity was running through the rider. As he screamed, the paladin could see the legs of magical lightning bouncing off the rider's teeth. Both rider and mount fell to the ground. Dunsmere laughed in disbelief. Not that he didn't expect Theos to come through, of course, but no one could ever know when Theos' answer to a prayer was no. With lead legs, he walked over to retrieve his warhammer from the bodies. Then the wyvern was up and launched itself at him. Its cavernous maw open, the creature's tongue flicking, hungry for his blood. Dunsmere's sword arm was in the creature's mouth. The sword was lost, either down the lizard's gullet or down below. A scream erupted from Dunsmere as the wyvern lifted him off the ground. The crunch of his upper arm bone broke, reverberating through his teeth. This was the end, and that realization rushed over Dunsmere like mountain water. He'd been close to death before, but always before there were others who could support him heal him. Dangling from the maw of this monstrous creature, he was painfully aware of how lone he was. With his only free hand, possibly his only hand, Dunsmere grabbed the dagger at his belt. Charlure! Dunsmere yelled as he drove the dagger into the creature's throat. Had he cried Charlure? Dunsmere had no intention to do so. He was about to cry Elegis' name, not Charlure's. His arm, once trapped in the mouth of the wyvern, was now next to him. It flapped in the wind as he fell, broken and bleeding. Was he falling? Why couldn't he feel his arm? Across the length of his arm, bone shards pierced the skin. Alpheus! He was falling. Of course he yelled Charlure. Why was he lying to himself about why he did? Then it was black. Dunsmere was in the darkness, 
It wasn't darkness like anything he'd ever experienced. It wasn't lacking light. The darkness was nothing. Pain pulsated behind his eyes as he tried to comprehend what he was looking at, or what he wasn't. There were hoofbeats echoing throughout the nothing. It made no sense. Where was Dunsmere? Where he was made no sense. He was standing on nothing, looking at nothing, but hearing hoofbeats. Panic grew in his belly as he tried to understand where he was, what was going on. The obvious answer was that he was dead. But if that were the case, where was Theos? Where was St. Allegis? Theos, he yelled. Dunsmere never felt his voice utter the words, yet he seemed surrounded by them. Again he cried the name of his god as the hoofbeats became louder. Hey! Another voice reverberating through the nothing. This voice was not part of this nothing. The words broke through this reality, or whatever it was. Dunsmere was now surrounded by black walls. Hey! This voice was a voice he recognized. A pleasant voice. A voice that made him feel warm. Dunsmere opened his eyes to see Charlour looking down at him. Theos, she was gorgeous. Hey, jackass, she said as she slapped his face. Dunsmere cried out, I'm awake, I'm awake. I'm aware, she said. Charlour's slap landed with a biting sting. Dunsmere tasted coppery liquid after the second blow struck him. Mother, Baldo said. I don't want to get mixed up in nothing religious, but I doubt it would be helpful to your god if you killed Brother Dunsmere after just bringing him back from the brink of death. Dunsmere rubbed his jaw. He looked at his once mangled arm. It throbbed, but Mother Charlour had done wonders healing it. Dunsmere was filled with even more love for her. He flashed her a smile. Her stern face let him know that she would not be returning any smile. Then, shocking Dunsmere, she wrapped her arms around him. Praise Theos, you're alive, she said. She raised him off the ground in a powerful, loving hug. Dunsmere kissed her. Just a quick peck. Charlure dropped him. He cried more from shock than the pain in his tailbone. I'm so angry at you right now. Where in your stupid, balding head did you think I would be ready for you to kiss me? Well, the hug... Dunsmere started. I was just happy you're alive. That doesn't mean I'm okay with you running off after I told you not to. I'm super pissed at you. We are nowhere near you kissing me now. Dunsmere smiled. Sorry, of course. I'm sorry. Of course you're sorry. You just got your ass kicked, Charlotte said. What are you talking about? Dunsmere said. I killed them all. I guess Theos was with me today when my dagger struck home in that wyvern's throat. Baldo laughed, and Charlotte joined in. Dunsmere wasn't sure why, but they were clearly laughing at him. The dwarf captain of the guard pointed at the body of the wyvern behind him. Body was the way to describe it, Dunsmere thought. There was no head. It looked as if it had been sliced off by some giant's axe. Dunsmere noticed for the first time there were people walking around the battle scene. There was one man who stood out, a half-elf by the look of him, powerful build with a gait that announced his authority to all around him. He wore armor that was brutal and coarse. The tabard he wore was a deep red with a large white hand. Red hand, he said quietly. I, Baldo said. We rode up right ass, Prophet Tobias there, summoned some kind of great sword out of nowhere and cut off the creature's head. Saved you. What? Dunsmere said. Why wouldn't he just let me die? They hate the church. 
maybe you're wrong about them, Baldo said. Mother Charlure and Dunsmere both gave him a flat look. Maybe not, the dwarf conceded with a shrug. Ah, Brother Dunsmere, Prophet Tobias said. The man's smile was charming, and his sparkling blue eyes were captivating. They somehow spoke of strength and compassion. In his dreams in the orphanage, Dunsmere would see his father, the father he never knew. The dream father and Brother Tobias shared the same eyes. Dunsmere hated himself for feeling that way. He forced himself to think of the bodies in Logansport. The women burned at the stake, the body parts of a man drawn and quartered, and the dead children around a corpse of a dog. The last image brought back reality. Exhaustion prevented the holy rage from filling his belly. The cruelty of that scene. This was what the Red Hand did. Self-righteous fervor would allow a normal person to become the cruelest of monsters. There were those who Theos ordained for that kind of self-righteous fervor. Those who never had to worry about the morality of their violence because they were the arm of Theos. Dunsmere was one. Brother Tobias, Dunsmere said, I owe you thanks. None needed. That winged demon caught our eye late last night. We'd been following it for most of the day. And when we saw it flying back toward our path, we knew that this was a sign from Theos. The Red Hand didn't believe an ordained clerical class was necessary. They believed that anyone could speak directly with Theos. They had no need for saints or priests. There were prophets like Tobias, who Theos spoke more clearly to, apparently. It was not only heretical, but it was utter nonsense. A sign? Theos works in mysterious ways, Tobias said. His smile was condescending. Dunsmere couldn't imagine hating anyone more. Now your friends here mention that you're from Tuck's Edge. Theos blessing again. That's where we're heading. Another sign, Dunsmere asked. Mysterious ways, dear paladin. Mysterious ways. Thanks for listening to What Happened at Tux Edge, part two. One thing I wanted to mention, and I should have last time, was the question of where does Dunsmere come from? Well, he's actually a very minor side character that Ben made for Magnar's backstory. If you remember the very first three episodes, Magnar mentions how a paladin named Dunsmere told him to meet with Archbishop Joyce in Kringle Falls. So that's it. That's where he comes from. Um, and my plan originally was that he would be their guide once they got to Tuck's Edge. But as I mentioned last time, and as everybody who knows who's heard past episode three, uh, they all died. So that started a whole new very unplanned storyline that has been the entirety of the show so that is the awesomeness of dungeons and dragons once again we really do appreciate your patronage and as you can see i'm releasing these every other week i do apologize for that but with the writing producing and editing of this project it just takes a while but don't worry we are cranking out as much content as we can for you and there's a ton more coming down the pike music from filmmusic.io lost frontier enchanted journey Evening of Chaos, Escalation, Clash Defiant, Arcade Chide, Bittersweet, Unholy Night, Final Battle of the Dark Wizards, Invariance, Our Story Begins, and Opium, all by Kevin McLeod and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0. Licenses, creativecommons.org, slash licenses, slash buy, slash 4.0. What Happened at Tux Edge Part 2? Written, produced, and edited by Alexander Floyd.
The character of Dunsmere was created by Benjamin Floyd and developed by Alexander Floyd.